Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. In 2005, two brothers hit the road to chase demons and fight monsters. After 15 years, they made television history and built a community of dedicated and lasting fans. I'm Rob Benedict. I played God, a.k.a. Chuck Shirley. And I'm Richard Spate Jr., and I played the Archangel Gabriel, a.k.a. the Trickster, a.k.a. Loki. And in later years, I stepped behind the camera to direct a bunch of episodes. Though we've been involved with the series for years and multiple seasons, we never sat down and watched the entire show. Until now. Rob and I are going episode by episode, watching each and every one. And we're diving in with the folks who made the show to bring you an insider's point of view and some great behind-the-scenes stories from the writers, producers, crew, and actors. And along the road, we're becoming fans. We've heard you saying it for years, and we finally get what all the excitement is about. We'll definitely be hitting on some spoilers, so you better be watching with us or look out. This show holds up after all this time and deserves to be watched and rewatched. Thank you for joining our journey and listening to Supernatural Then and Now. Hey, everybody, it's Rob Benedict. And this is Richard Spade Jr. And we're talking about Season 4, Episode 10, Heaven and Hell. A lot of people, when they hear Rob and Richard together, they go, well, that's heaven and hell. Exactly. And we know which one's which. We do. <laughs> Picking up where the previous episode left off. What are you doing? Are you summarizing? Sorry. How about announcing it to people? Sorry. Don't sorry. blindside them with a summary. Sorry, sorry. They're going to think you're talking off the cuff. They're like, what's he prattling on about? Get to the summary. Having no idea that you're actually summarizing it. Sorry. All right. I was doing what heaven might do, and now you're doing what hell might do. You know what I mean? Uh, if if hell is the more organized one, then yes, you're right. Chaos. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rob Benedict doing the summary. And so, no, 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 no. Let's stop. How are you, Rich? You doing good? Good, Bobo. And yourself? No, oh, great. Real great. I'm just excited. Thank you. I'm excited to, uh, you know, to get into this and, and and find out what the episode was about. I mean, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of ways to skin that cat, but one of the ways we've we've found effective is to summarize it. Yeah. Well, sh- oh, should I do that now? Eh, why not? Okay. Picking up where the previous episode left off, Sam and Dean are in a standoff with Castiel and Uriel about what to do with Anna. The angels want her dead. So they attack the Winchesters, but then disappear in a flash of bright light. And the boys find Anna in the adjacent room, who has used her own blood to draw a sigil on a mirror, which sent the angels away. Sam and Dean, Ruby, and Anna hide out at Bobby's place. They finally get to use that room, that safe room. Yeah, man. Anna speaks about a vague memory of a different father who was abusive. The boys bring in the psychic Pamela Barnes, she's back, to try and help. It is revealed that Anna is a fallen angel who surrendered her grace to become human. Sam is able to track down where Anna's grace might be, an old oak tree in Kentucky. The four of them travel there only to discover that it is gone. Suddenly, Anna can hear angels talking. She says that if she isn't turned over to the angels, Dean will be sent back to hell. Later that night, Anna tells Dean a little more about why she wanted to be human and that she forgives him for what he did in hell. 
They kiss and then ultimately make sweet love in the back of the Impala. Meanwhile, Ruby meets up with Alistair. She offers to trade the location of Anna in exchange for letting her and the Winchesters go. Alistair doesn't go for it, and he takes her captive, and he tortures her. Uriel appears to Dean in a dream and shows him he holds Anna's grace in a vial around his neck. Uriel offers Dean an ultimatum. Back at Bobby's, Uriel and Castiel arrive to take Anna. It's either her or Sam. Suddenly, Alistair and an injured Ruby appear to take Anna. It's a showdown, angels versus demons. A fight ensues, and the Winchesters are on the sidelines. Anna takes back her grace from Uriel in the melee. She becomes a blinding light and disappears. Alistair disappears in the process, too, and Castiel and Uriel leave. Later, Sam and Dean are sharing some beers and reflecting on the events of the episode. In an emotional confession, Dean reveals that after years of torture in hell, he broke. He got off the rack and tortured other souls. Yeah. You know what's interesting about this summary? Not much, but <laughs> uh, at one point you said Anna's Grace. Uh-huh. In this sentence, you Sam is able to track down Anna's grace. where Anna's Grace might uh-huh. be. Okay, and here we go. Anna's Grace. Uh-huh. And ironically, in season 15, the character of Lilith is brought back to the screen by actress Anna Grace Barlow. Well, there you go. Thank you for that, Rich. We could have saved that for fun facts, but hey, it's right here. Well, I would have forgotten. Um. So, yeah. Um. So, listen. If you remember from the last episode, we really loved the pieces we, we didn't necessarily love the whole thing together. I tend to feel a little bit the same about this. I, I feel like maybe I enjoyed this episode a little bit more. I'm curious if it was a mid-season finale. I, at any rate, that last scene with Sam and Dean was amazing. Uh, yeah. Both of the actors are amazing. Uh, Jensen's work in that scene is so unreal. And, and it was good to finally find out what happened in hell for him. Yeah. Um, Again, continuing excellent work by Julie McNiven. Yeah. And I love the standoff between angels and demons. The Who's the creepy, the actor who plays the creepy, uh, Alistair? Uh, Mark Ralston. He is uh, so good and so creepy. You know, all of it, I love the pieces. It's just, as overall as an episode, it didn't all add up as like home run to me. It's it, and, and I couldn't agree more. And it's almost like I can't put my finger on it because every scene is engaging. Every yeah. performance is yeah. engaging. Mm-hmm. Every moment, there there are seminal moments in this episode that are reflected back on by fans and, you know, the the Anna uh, Dean scene, Dean obviously loves, monumental. Loves, the, yeah. see, the Dean confession about what he did in hell with yeah. Sam by his side scene yeah. is a, is iconic. Yeah. I know we, we, we use that term, but it really is just a, a unbelievable moment of, of performance and, and great writing uh, and great shooting. It's just a culmination of, of a lot of great work by a lot of people, but especially Jensen. And Robert Wisdom, he's always phenomenal. Amazing. Misha's and, and great. Misha's I love always creepy great. Castiel. Mm-hmm. Like, creepy Castiel is my favorite Castiel. I had yeah. no idea that Castiel was such a powerful creep. And yeah. And man, he's way more interesting than a powerful creep. Like, it's really cool watching him be mean and threatening and them kind of being scared around him. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So. And the, and the fight, the fight between the angels and demons is great. You know, all the, all the pieces are, are great. Uh, Pamela Barnes being back was fun. Pamela Barnes is back. That was really cool to see uh, uh, Tracy Dinwiddie back. Yeah. 
But um, I, 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 I guess it's Genevieve almost, is great as always. Like doing Genevieve her thing is great. So that good in the episode. A torture and scene was tough that to watch. Torture scene is so intense. Yeah, you know, with Mark Rawson and Genevieve just acting their faces off. It's so intense. It's so grisly. It's like a feature film level sequence. And for some reason, and I, I, I can only say for me. I think it's just too much packed into an episode. Yeah. So I, it, it was just more than I could absorb. I've got my beard already. I know who it is now. Who? And it's a reference that only you'll understand, I think. Captain Lou Albano. Wow, Captain Lou. It's too much beard. And he, he had it all in a little... Uh, so Ca- Captain Lou Albano, if you ever watched uh, Cindy Lauper videos from back yeah. in the day, he was like her her sidekick in her videos and he's big guy with a big huge beard that was that he wrapped in a little rubber band at the bottom of the beard all the beard was wrapped into a rubber band and that's too much beard for that rubber band it's too much beard too much beard that's a really funny and smart review because it is too much i wonder what the who i would put in that i know i know exactly who in classic robin rich keeping with uh are dramatically different references that exist in her head. My beard is going to William Lee Golden. William, William Lee Golden uh, is definitely the, the the too much beard. As I don't have to tell you, the audience, that William Lee Golden is a founding member of the Oak Ridge Boys. Okay, and uh, he Eesh. was uh, the the furriest of the Oak Ridge Boys. He had a huge beard. It was always unkempt and scraggly, uh, upsetting my mother uh, every time she saw the Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> Because the other Oak Ridge boys were very clean cut, uh, but not William Lee Golden. Uh, his beard was all over the joint, and he really stood out in that uh, crisp, clean quartet, um, the Oak Ridge boys. Which, by the way, Elvira, I mean, go back and dust off that one, or come on in. Just a beautiful, like, toe-tapping country number. Uh, a lot of hits. My baby was made in the USA, or my baby is American-made, born and bred in the USA. The Oak Ridge boys knew how to turn out the hits. God, I love how country you get when you start but talking William about William Golden, William Lee Golden. <laughs> Mr. Golden. I honestly <laughs> have a beard. I give too much beard, William Lee Golden, too much beard. I give our beard reviews for this episode the Kenny Loggins. <laughs> and a Stapleton. Because <laughs> yeah, they're Stapleton. good. These are good. <laughs> good beards. Um, I think you nailed it though with the too much beard. So we're going with Captain Lou and William Lee Golden. Yeah, too much beard. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. I really am. <laughs> It's almost um, like it's almost not a bad review. It's, it's, no, it's, it's not. Just, I mean, weird. There's so much greatness. It could have been like yeah. maybe these two episodes should have been three. And I want people to know that Rob and I never pregame about these reviews, and we never pre, we never prethink about who we're going to reference for our reviews. No. And uh, I got to be honest, I think this is a one of our finest. <laughs> it's one of our finest Deep. moments. I, I want Captain a new, Lou and William Lee Golden. I mean, I want a new T-shirt that's Captain Lou and and William, <laughs> William uh, Lee Golden, and it says "Too much beard." I mean, there, you, there's. Very few people who know who those gentlemen are. And I'm including (laughs) Captain Lou's entire crew of the ship he must sail and the the Lee Golden family. Um, The other Oak Ridge boys are at a loss. Um, Anyway, uh, Uh, that's our review, and we stand behind it. Well, uh, continuing with the fun, we've got a great interview uh, happening today. Yeah, the, the the speaking of captains, the captain of this ship. I yeah. mean, what what an unbelievable episode he had to helm, and and the the moments of beauty and poignancy in the episode 
can't not be ignored. It's not yeah. that this is not a great episode. No. It's almost, to Rob's point, there was too much to wrestle to make it yeah. a Stapleton-Loggins combo. But we can't wait to talk to him about the, well, obviously, the sex scene. But but that scene at the end with, with Jensen. You. And that scene at the end with Jensen and, and, and the face-off uh, angels and demons and all that stuff. So let's get into it. Our uh, returning guest, Jay Miller Tobin, is is back with us, and he, he directed four episodes of Supernatural in the first five seasons. Uh, most recently, he's directed episodes of CW's Tom Swift and ABC's Emergence. Welcome back, Jay Miller Tobin. Hey, Miller. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me back. I love being here. Oh, dude. Love having you. I mean, we had to have you because there's so much. Right. We didn't have a choice. Like, our hands are tied. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a, so much going on. Okay, so Rob and I were talking about, you know, this is the first supernatural back-to-back legit to be continued episodes. Like you have the second part right. of a two-parter. Exactly. Um, so one of the questions I have is how much did that play? Did you have to have any dialogue with uh, the previous director? Was there anything that you had to sort of cohort like Charles Beeson with them? actually directed I mean, like, right, the right thing. Yeah, you did you and Beeson have to like powwow on anything or or no? Was it not really because there was a pretty clear handover? What I what did happen was that I inherited all of the stuff that he had set up. Right. But I, you know, I was I was sort of tracking his episode and tracking him. And and I I mean we didn't sit down like have a long heart to heart, but I would stop by set and he'd say, This is what we're doing. You know, but they built the barn from scratch they built a silo from scratch right. you know there, there was a lot of of that a lot of those design choices were had already been made but we talked through how he was going to use them and what we were going to do so there was a you know there was a little overlap there was a little segue there but you know his episode was was still fairly distinct from mine i got all the big payoffs thank yeah. goodness you know so right right but again a lot of that mostly it was about the sets and and not so much locations because there was the two huge sets and that was new that was new territory for supernatural because they weren't doing that Completely, completely. That was a brand. The barn was brand new, and and the silo was brand yeah. new, and they were both. Yeah. Well, I guess they were built for the for that run of shows. Yeah. Was that on a stage? Yeah, they were all on stage. Yeah. And you oh, also wow. had, I mean, the cast of Spartacus in this thing. I mean, and, and I mean, like, and I'm, I don't mean like you know one line people. I'm talking about massive. Oh yeah. Big, not big characters played by big established actors. You know, you had a lot of movies. Robert Wisdom, Julie McNiven. I mean, they were all amazing. Mark Ralston, you know? who's so yeah. good. Did you? Yeah. They all, you inherited all them, right? Because he. Yeah, they were all, they all came through the pipeline. I mean, yeah, Julie had already, I mean, Julie had already been. Yeah, so I wanted yeah, to yeah, maybe I because you, in the you were so involved in, she's so obviously key in your episode and in Charles' episode. If you were involved in her casting process at all, but. No, that was all done by the time I got there. I mean, I, I again, I pre- I started prep when Charles started shooting, so that all of those decisions have been made. But you know, listen, again, this has all been vetted by Kripke and and company, so there was, you know, what was I going to do? Complain? I mean, these are brilliant. These are wonderful. Well, actors. I mean, I mean Supernatural continues. I, I always, <laughs> Rob and I always feel like a little bit like jerk saying this since we are beneficiaries of the great guest star casting <laughs> of the show, but Supernatural. <laughs> Their track record of nailing it with unbelievable performers in guest star yeah. roles and supporting roles yeah. is, is practically unmatched until you get to The Sopranos. Yeah. I mean, literally, right. it's baffling how good and the caliber of people, recognizable names and faces. And Well, again, I, I mean, I think, I think you know, Robert Wisdom, I mean, Julie McNiven is honestly one of my, except for you two, of course, was one of my favorite, absolutely favorite top guest stars. I mean, who... who 
in the world better to play a fallen angel than Julie nobody Niven. i mean she's, she's totally, so good she's really totally she's really really yeah yeah and and just you know and and stunningly beautiful and ethereal and just you know i mean yep. she's just she literally is like an angel on earth and which is obviously the point right. so it was it was yeah. she's a joy to work with she was so much fun to work with just a pleasure yeah i agree so yeah i mean again i i i i i was on the downhill slide of all that i just got all the wonderful benefit of having all of those those people you know already done we're talking about julie and Um, how beautiful is so rob well uh and and you believe it or not this is written down as a a question to ask but uh but i i was curious so we've got a sex scene we have a sex scene in this in this episode and it, it to me it wasn't and you may not know the answer to this but it didn't seem typical supernatural to do a sex scene like that in the previous episode there's one as well uh you know where you really stay on it you've got shots of the you know a naked thigh or whatever mine or or the other one i'm talking about yours yeah Uh, just in terms of it it felt like like do you think that that was something that was coming from studio like hey we need to have the boys need to hook up it's it's not like he kisses her and then we fade out and fade in post-coital kind of thing it's like we're there we haven't actually you know what i mean yeah i don't I honestly don't remember what the genesis uh, genesis of it was. It must have come from again the writers' room because I must I, be. You know, uh, the, the 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 I remember the override overreaching idea overriding idea of all of that was that this was their last night on Earth, right? right. I mean, it was going to be, you know, it, it wasn't a typical you know we meet somebody at a bar and have a night together. This was we're all going to die tomorrow, right? And, you know, so that to, to, to prolong that, because it is unusual for supernatural. You don't generally have long, prolonged sex scenes like that. I mean, I've, there, right. there's a cu- there are a couple here scattered here and there, but not really, that's not really the theme of the show. Right. But again, you know, with the idea that, especially for uh, Anna, you know, that she was going to, she's going to die, you know, and, and, you know, it's very entirely possible that Sam and Dean were going to die. I mean, you know, again, this was, this was the angel demon, you know, uh, face off. Which we right. get into later, the sort of you know Western in the barn kind of thing that this you know yeah. by noon moment, right. um, but yeah. the, but the whole point of it was you know this this could be it this could be it for for you know especially for her I mean I don't think anybody watching this show thought we were going to kill Sam or Dean although we did actually kill them a number of times but we tried Dan we tried yeah <laughs> um, but yeah so the I think the, I think the idea was really to prolong that that moment of of earthly pleasure again for for yeah. Anna as an angel sure. just recently yeah. discovering her angel heritage right but having come to earth to invest herself in human emotion human you know physicality human you know so that for her it was sort of the pinnacle of of that of that journey um and how do you shoot that is that does the car car come apart we shot all of the 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 pieces up to on location including the the hand shot which i'll talk about in a second you know the hand against the window yeah yeah they you know again how many cars do they have they have like they had like thirty Impala Lots, or something, right. but yeah, it yeah, in half for us. Wow, you know, and that was on stage, and that was on stage, so it made it a lot easier, wow. obviously. And but you can tell it's essentially the whole thing is shot from one angle. It's you know from the the front seat looking to the right. back seat. And I feel like I mean, th- there's obviously some Titanician uh, elements well, to that. How much of that was dictated by the script, and how much of that was creative Miller? Well, interestingly enough, I mean the, the the way the way it was shot was me, I think, pretty much because and I had shot scenes similar to this for Gossip Girl and other uh, and other shows. I mean, so you you're always dancing around how much you can see, how much you can't see. You want to make it feel sexy. You want to make it feel real. You know, in this case, we wanted it to feel romantic, right? You know, above it, beyond anything else. 
so there was a lot of shots of the two of them, their faces, you know, and all of that beyond, you know, hands on legs and, and, and stuff like that. But the, the, the hand on the window shot was in the script. And I read somewhere later, I can't remember where that Kripke hated it, but, but it was, the, but it stayed or did, wasn't, wasn't thrilled. Like it was too much of a quote, right, basically right. is what. Uh, uh. I it. it's the wrong word. I don't know. That's, um, but he's like, he was very ambivalent about the idea that they would actually had gone as far as quoting Titanic, you know? Right, right, right. right. But, yeah. But it was there and we shot it. He didn't pull it out. He put it no, in the show. There. So I don't I mean, know what Wait, I'll, and, I'll, and, and the script is written by him. This script is actually written by him. So it's, a, it's probably Eric going like, who, who thought what of that? Oh, that's crazy. Oh, I mean. that's... <laughs> so I, I was going to say that I'm struck by this in your journey as director on the show that and I know you just said that you'd done several sequences that were similar, but it was new to Supernatural. Like getting uh, an intense sex scene like this for Dean, there had been one in season one that was kind of like, right. you know, and then they went away from that. Then Jared had a scene, his own sex scene earlier and ended up marrying the woman. Um, right. And then this was sort of Jensen or Dean's uh, return to that sort of vibe. And, uh, you know, I, and then you had also done a... You also were sort of breaking ground in sort of uh, many episodes ago in the Aluna Tall episode of her getting, you know, the sort of physicality that went on with that episode. You were handed some some sensitive material. And even though the sex scene, and this is consenting angel and human, and it's a romantic scene, nonetheless, from an actor-director standpoint, it's still a sensitive thing to address and, and approach. So what is that like? What, like you obviously are good at it. You've been, you've done it on other shows. You've done the dark version. Now you're doing the light version from a professional Miller standpoint. What, how do you go into these kind of sequences and how do you approach it? Because uh, that's a very good question. I mean, we shot this long enough ago that we, it was pre intimacy coordinators, right. pre all of that. So there was a, there's a, uh, a little less scrutiny on this stuff, but I always, always, always approach it by sitting down talking to actors and saying, this is the, we're, this is what the story we're trying to tell. Like, this is where we need to get to. You guys help me figure out how we can do that and make everybody feel comfortable. You know, so again, it's, for me, it's about starting with the end result in the sense of we want to get to this point. Um, Story-wise, right. these are the elements that I would like to do visually or, you know, physically how can you guys help me choreograph that? And I really rely on the actors at that point. I mean, you know, again, you're dealing with, you know, Jensen and Julie, it was, it was fine. Some, you know, sometimes you shoot a scene like that and the actors are like, let us just do it. We'll find it. Or sometimes you work with actors and they're like, just stand by the camera and tell us exactly what to do. Right. You know, your hand on my ass, say, you know, just yell at us while we're doing this. Cause we know the music's going to play over this. Right. You know, right. We know. Just tell us what to do. And other right. actors are like, we'll find it. We'll find it. And this was somewhere in the middle, as I recall. Again, I don't re remember exactly. But we we had definitely choreographed or, or or discussed certain positions, like Dean on his back initially. Or, uh, yeah, Dean on, uh, you know, her on her back initially, him taking off his shirt. Everybody wanted to see Dean with his shirt off. You know, I mean, there were certain elements that you knew were, you knew were going to be sort of important right. to the sequence. And mm -hmm. the flip side of that is, is, you know, when she was on top and just seeing how, you know, again, just ethereal lighting, beautiful lighting, making her look gorgeous. And, you know, and then, and then nose to nose. I mean, again, that was really the right. moment. And this is yeah. a romantic thing for Dean. That was the other sort yeah. of element in this is, this is, there's actually a lot of emotion in this, yeah. in this. Right. There is, there, there's Not a just sensitivity and a, a, a gentleness you see in Dean that you don't see in other sequences, you know, in other elements with him. Julie is an actress inspired that in Jensen, if I can speak for him, you know, as just as Anna did for Dean. I mean, there was a, there was a real, there was a really nice 
connection and bond between those between the two of them, both you know, that's right. cool as character actors. I mean, they're again total pros. No, no. And, and I, I want to kind of explain this to our p- people who listen and not on the industry. So, because you had referenced intimacy coordinators, and just so folks know, now in in any set, it, that kind of scene, there'd be a person who's who is a designated representative of intimacy, right? I mean, they're there to be the sounding board for the actors and be the go between between you and the performer, I suppose, or be there. I mean, how would you describe that? Yeah. I mean, again, I did, I did a very simple, even, even simple kisses. Now you generally have a coordinator on set and it's, it's primarily to protect the actors. There's been many, many, many instances where actors, actresses specifically on set have been goaded into doing things that they weren't necessarily comfortable with. And, you know, so there's been a a push towards uh, creating a safer environment for shooting and for actresses. And so all of those things are discussed up front. Generally, they're very choreographed. You, you agree in advance what, you know, what's going to exactly what's going to happen. And again, even again, it's on Tom Swift, I had a, a, a kiss in the doorway. It was very, as far as I was concerned, very straightforward, but we had a coordinator on set. And again, I approached it exactly the way I always do, which is, this is the story we have to tell. We have to get to this moment right. in terms of seeing this emotion on screen. That emotion is being portrayed physically. So how do we get there? And, you know, the, again, the actors were fine. They were totally cool. And it was, it was not a non-issue, but we did have that third party. Right. There. Well, I think that, sure. that position, if I may sort of pat you on the back, I don't, I, that position was not created because of the Miller Tobins of the world. That position was, <laughs> was created because of the lack yeah. of Miller Tobins. You know what I mean? Like you were the kind of director yeah. you've directed me. We've interviewed you a bunch. We know you as a guy, you're, you're going to come in a prepared and be sensitive to what you're doing. Well, I like actors, so you know that's that. that yeah, yeah. And, and, no, seriously though, that I'm goes not sure a long everybody way. Everybody does, you know. Not everybody so, does. I mean, but I'm saying like that's so. I think it's really cool that you have gotten. That's why I brought up the other episode. You've been handed really tough material. It's people. Yeah. People think, ah, oh, making out with you know hot people making out is that's got to be fun. It can also be incredibly awkward. It can be. It's it's very medicinal and antiseptic trying to get these things with a crew of people and. And not kill the vibe of the whole story. Anyway, you do a great job with it. It's a great scene. Well, and you know, along along that same line, uh, what was it like then shooting the torture scene with Genevieve? Because to me, that that's also very sensitive. And ironically, I remember that being harder. Sure. Yeah, it's not fun. No, it's not to you know strap someone to a table with no shirt on and exactly that whole sequence, that whole table that it was it was designed basically to make her naked and and still be you know. Um, whatever, you know, censorship safe or whatever, you know, right, right. That works safe. But yeah, I mean, basically the banding across her chest and the, you know, banding across her waist. Her arms are out like that. I mean, very specifically designed so that it was clear that she was naked and yet covered enough so that we could air it. But I mean, making her feel completely and utterly vulnerable. Again, that was the story point. We just wanted to make, make it feel as if she, she had no control in the situation at all, which she didn't, obviously. But you know that that but the idea that she was naked made it even more made her even more vulnerable. And again, Genevieve was amazing. She she didn't yeah. can tell what from watching. She she didn't back down. She didn't shy away from any of that. I right. mean, it was it was. But that was that for me was much harder to shoot and choreograph. Sure, I can yeah. see why. Because you know, yeah. I mean, when she started screaming, it just like you know made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I mean, it was really yeah. Especially muffled like that too. It's that's that horrible mask that she had on. She again, she, that was that was a real thing. That was a leather, you know, mask that had been created to fit her face. I mean, that was not right. Yeah. She didn't bring that from home. You know what I mean? That was uh, pure supernatural. <laughs> yeah, she didn't say like. No, actually, I travel with my own blood-soaked leather mask. <laughs> Just hold that thought. We're coming right back.
you can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance, and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit seekanomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. So this script was written by Kripke. Is it is it different when it's a, a Kripke script? Was he on set at all? Don't think he was. He came up. I, he came up a couple of times. I don't, but didn't stay very I mean, very long. He, he would generally come up and meet with the actors and sort of check right. out everybody. But he didn't. He didn't spend a lot of time on set. Um, I don't remember if he was there for this episode. He certainly wasn't on set for any extended period of time. Is, is that right? Right. Um, was it uh you know i worked on the boys this last season was it and and i noticed that it was very much like everything everyone said from the director to the wardrobe designer to even in post it was like well this is coming from eric 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 because eric's very much when he's running a show he's very much you know which i thought i found kind of fascinating kind of fun you know because it was all like and, and they would always say it as if i don't know eric you know but like this is coming from eric just so you know it's absolutely the final word the other thing that was kind of interesting about this season and this show was that there was a, an interim uh, production team. Uh, Richard, I don't know if you remember this, but it was Val and somebody. Yeah, they took over for Cyrus, and and they. My understanding is not beloved. And it was, and there was a lot of of um, 
there's a lot of back and forth that year about budgets. Right. And I, again, talk about inheriting a show. I inherited an episode that was already in the hole because of all the building they had done, all the, the construction they had done for the first episode, you know, the half of the show. So I went into this episode with a deficit as far as they were concerned. So there was a lot of pushback on, on, you know, shooting time and all. And there was just a big, big push to get us back on track. And it wow. ultimately affected the barn scene because we had shot listed what was on the page and we knew it was going to be a long day. We knew it was going to be probably a 13 hour day, maybe a 14 hour day. And then like halfway into the shooting day, Val comes in and says, we can't go past 12. Like you have to figure it out. And so I literally, I had, at that point, I did get on the phone with Kripke. I do remember that. I got on the phone with him and said, listen, we're not going to be able to do what we had planned or what's on the page. How do we, how do we tighten this up? And we basically, there was sort of a, a, another section to the fight that, you know, between the angels and the demons that we just kind of lifted right. in whole. Nobody watching the show now would notice, but there was a, there was a slightly more extended fight that was originally, was originally on the page. Oh, gotcha. wow. And but again, well, let, Let's talk about that barn showdown a little bit more. So what, what, you you had, you had mentioned sort of a high noon aspect to it. Was that was that, that was that was the premise? It was okay. You know what is it? Something at OK showdown at the, the OK you know, Corral. It was that. It was the it was the you know the two the two teams. I mean these are our two you know big bad teams. You know angels are dicks, demons are demons. But here we are when they're going to have this big face off. You know in the barn and it was it was scripted as and conceived as you know an old sort of an old school showdown. I love it. And, you know, all of the blocking of the fight, again, we had Lou as our coordinator, of course, so the, you know, the fighting, the fight blocking was amazing. Um, you know, and we, the, the two demon guys were both professional stuntmen and, you know, Robert Wisdom, who we actually worked with, ironically, on the agency. I don't, you know, that was, <laughs> I did a whole episode with him on the agency. Oh, that's right. You did that one in the, the old hotel, right? Yeah, it was cool. He's, he's an interesting guy. He's, you know, he's, he's such an imposing presence, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I loved him in Barry. He's he's great in Barry. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, so uh, the the thing that I found fascinating about that scene is that we're because angels and demons are still new to the show. You're still going okay. What are the rule? What's the rule book? And and you got to see that the angels like by pressing their fist, their hand against the heads of the demons, or somehow can kill a demon. Kill, demon. Yeah, literally kill them that way. Right? Really burn him out. I guess is, is sort of the- right. I remember talking to the, again, sort of thinking about the design of that or what that was going to look like, because that was fairly, that was fairly early on in, in terms of that. Yeah. And even Rob, to, to your point, Rob, the standoff has this sort of like, as a viewer, you're like, okay, who are the bad guys? Because they're both, you know, it's like everybody's <laughs> yeah. a jerk in the room. You're like, yeah. Elana, who's our, who's our, right. you know, our hero. And that's supernatural to a T. The angels are, you know, the angels aren't necessarily angels. They're, they're, you no, know, they're, it's all. Not at all. Well, and I thought about it last night too. I was thinking, especially because Eric wrote this episode, like I, there's an element that carries on into the boys where the superheroes aren't the good guys. Right. You know yeah. I mean? It's that, yeah. that same kind of thing. Yeah, you're not wrong. I also, just from an execution standpoint, holy smokes, you had a lot of people in that room. A lot of people. Lot Dude, yeah. I'm sure you're like, all right, now it's time for, for our singles. That's- <laughs> <laughs> We're going alphabetical order. I mean, good Lord. <laughs> so much going on yeah that was one that required some uh some some planning yeah i'm sure yeah well especially when them breathing down your neck about oh and you also you have to be done at midnight yeah yeah that was that was that was a tough day i definitely remember. now that's like look, an amazing accomplishment and then and then we move to another amazing accomplishment in this episode yeah. which is on the face simpler but just so complex in its uh performance is that last scene 
with uh, with, Dean, yeah. with Sam and Dean on the car. And you've talked about this before, but I, I would like you just to take it from here. Tell us about what that was what and how it came to be. Well, it was, I mean, again, this was all on the page, you know, initially, but we knew, I mean, everybody knew what a big moment this was going to be because we've been referencing hell and what happened in hell. And the Dean was clearly, you know, uh, an ambivalence, not the right strong word. He was clearly torn about what had happened. And then, you know, we start hearing these references about what you could, what he did or might not have done. So there's all, there's a lot of sort of stuff that's sort of filtered in, in advance. Uh, listen, honestly, this is one of my the thing one of my favorite scenes I've ever shot. I just think Jensen just was just beyond brilliant in this scene. That said, I can't take credit for it. I mean, he he walked in locked and loaded. He said, you know, we 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 talked you know in advance. We've been spent. It was one of the late, later things that we shot, as I recall. So we had had some time to talk about, it, and we all knew what a big big moment it was going to be. Um, it was going to be a huge, just a huge moment. Uh, we shot it first thing in the morning. Uh, we got the boys out on the car. I wanted to keep the blocking super, super simple so that it was not, there wasn't a lot, you know, there wasn't a lot of choreography or movement that, that you know, that Jensen could really do it. And he, he when he got there first thing that morning, he pulled me inside and said, I want, I need to shoot my close up first because I'm going to come in ready. And and so the, the 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 shot that everybody, that takes everybody's breath away or when tears are rolling down his face, that was literally the first take of the first shot of the top of the day. You know, we got everything set up. We blocked it. He went away. When it was time, he walked in, sat down on that car, and we shot the two close-ups like right out of the gate. And wow. that, that's what he did. That's what he brought, you know, into set that morning. And then we worked our way back. Like, you know, then we start. Normally, you'd work, start wide. And for again, for people who normally, when you're shooting, you start wide and you work your way in. And that generally works because it allows the actors to warm up and they get more used to the scene and they feel better about it. And there's more comfort. And the lines get stronger and the, you know the performances get better. It's a little bit of a rehearsal on on camera. And then by the time you get to the close-ups, everybody's comfortable with with what they're doing and they they've run it times. Hopefully, without wearing them out, without exhausting everybody. In this case. It was again all Jensen. He just said, "I got to shoot this up front." You know, I don't know how long I can hang on to this, so let's get it right. And we did. We just nailed it. I mean, there was just absolutely. And, and you know, I, it's wow. it's a it's a masterclass in performance by Jensen. It it really is, and it speaks to his talent again. Why Jared and Jensen were the tent poles of that show and made it so great was they have that and they they have that skill set. Like Jensen had that skill set to do that scene, and plenty of. Actors couldn't go that deep, that fast, that emotional. Like he just, it was intense what he pulled off. And also, and also because uh, you know, again, this is not to denigrate anything the show or any of the actors, but you know, the, the supernatural is not structured with moments like that very often, no. right? It's not something that's called upon for yeah. Jensen as an actor. He wasn't called up. You know, there, there's a there's a rhythm to the show that is very consistent. Mm-hmm. It would have been easy for them to fall into that, but every time those guys were asked to step up to the plate, like this one. Mm-hmm. There was no question that they were going to right, work. and I think that's the you thing. Know? It's yeah. like when you audition for Dean, this wasn't the scene he read with. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, right. so they never right. tested these waters, and so to get that, right. yeah. serve this up, to write it up for Kipke to put it on the page, and you to set it up to shoot. Jensen just delivered in a massive way. But I also, again, what you say, you you had nothing to do with it. But you know, you know, what you didn't do, you didn't get in the way. You didn't create obstacles That's, for for the actors. You knew what right. was going to be required. You knew what the end game was, and how do you create the path of least resistance for a performance? Right. Well, and, 
how do you guy that's again i just how do you get let your actors do their best right. work in this case you're right it was me getting out of the way and saying okay set up we'll do the close-up whatever you need tell me right. what you need you know and i gotta i gotta do i don't know if this is on purpose if it was happy accident but i tip my cap to you on that final frame that final frame when you jensen's looking camera left jared's looking camera right and the frame is perfect they're both breaching a little bit of the frame line like that's the poster of the whole series that happens in this right. moment of the emotion of both of the brothers and even Jared kind of looking forlorn at his brother while his brother's looking down, embracing this memory. It's an unbelievable portrait you created with that frame. And I love the fact that, that I, you did not ever throw focus to Jared, that you kept the focus right. on Dean and in I the will, foreground the whole time. Wanted, I knew we wanted to, at some point, to have them both in the same frame. So the block, that blocking was, I mean, again, we worked it out together, but, you know, that was what I had in mind so that we could be on Jensen in, in the foreground and have Jared's reaction, you know, clear as day in the background. So you never, you never lost either what either of them was feeling. And that was really important. Were you, did you ever think about going back and forth? Because you didn't. And I think it's better that you didn't. But it was, did you wrestle with that at all? Oh, uh, I'm sure I have to believe that we probably did. Um, and those sometimes you do you try versions of that, but also you know again this is a point where you know there was only a, li a limited amount of time before Jensen got tired, and that's I don't say that again I say that as, as respectfully in the sense that an actor can't maintain that kind of emotion for for indefinite periods of time, and you certainly it's, it's very hard to dip in and dip out of that like you can't get yourself to that place and then come back out and try to go back into that place, which is so you know. I guess my my instinct was always to 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 try to tie them together. Um, and we may have done a rack focus pass of that. I don't I just don't remember. But where um, you landed was great, man. It's great. Yeah. Again, I, it's one of my one of my scenes that I'm proudest of. But again, I I feel like I just get to you know sign my name at the bottom and go home. But I but I'm telling you, that's why your talent is valuable in a scene like that because you're smart enough to know what not to do. Right. <laughs> Seriously, right, right. I'm dead serious. If you'd gotten there and, and you had an actor who was phoning it in and you're like, well, this is a shit show, you would have broken it apart and done something different. You would have figured out a way to like help the, have the camera create the emotion. Yeah. <laughs> cut to waterworks. Yeah. Yeah. Just cut to just a faucet. Spritz, spritz. Primarily because we just never got, to, we've never seen Dean like that no. before, ever. And probably yeah. almost never since. I mean, that was like, yeah. that was really a, a unique moment for the for Yeah. yeah. Show. Well, it, it's a beautiful piece of acting uh, by Jensen and Jared. Jared's right in the pocket. Jared's great scene. in it too. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. yeah. You know, it's why those guys. Again, like I said at the beginning of this question, it's why those guys were the anchor yeah, of this show. Amazing. Jared's face. I don't want. I mean, we're talking about Jensen. I don't want to take anything away from Jared because you see the depth of of emotion yes. and sympathy and empathy that he's feeling for his brother at that point. I mean, it's just on his face. He didn't say hardly says a word. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just right there. It's just all over. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah. I think the word iconic is appropriate for that scene and that final frame. Yeah. Just that. Yeah. Just stunning work. Um, Good. And I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't know it was coming. I wasn't expecting it. So I was like, oh, here we go. It's just another sort of wrap up. Like, well, that was tough. Yeah. <laughs> right. you know Marlboro lights come out, beers. a couple of yeah. ice cold bricks. Yeah. Roll credits. Well, yeah. Classic rocks on. We're good to go. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, it was really, really beautiful. Thank you so much for for coming back and talking yeah, to us, Miller. It's 
much fun. Always a pleasure to. It's to, always to talk great, to you man. And... You're so good at what you do. I know we always say this, but like you just bring such a cool. You and Beeson, by the way, Charles Beeson, who did the first half. Like they really went with the all star team to to pull off yeah. these very complex episodes. But it's such a good episode, Miller, as always. Thank you. Yeah, I was. It's funny. I, rewatching it, I had, I honestly had forgotten how many huge pieces. Were it's unbelievable. You know. Rob and I review the about- episodes, you know, and and in the reviewing the A and B of these episodes, there's so much to unpack. It's almost like the summary is longer than the screenplay, <laughs> you know. Just yeah. trying to, <laughs> try to wrap it all up, but you did a great job. You did a great job with it. Appreciate it, and I appreciate you guys having me back. I really, this is a blast to talk about shows. It's really so much. Oh fun. man, we love having you Anytime. on. And we're going to love uh, yeah. seeing you in the Snap P outfit of the karaoke stage in Jacksonville. It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be. I'll, I'll right, call for your, your sizes what's... later. I want to be sure the. Right. Yeah, and I'm going to start working on what song you're yeah, going to be singing. Be great. Good. This is going to be. This is going to be the bachelor party you never had. <laughs> thank you again for being here. So, thank you so much. All right. Thank you guys. This is Jared Padalecki stopping in to say hi and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. Hey guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right, Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game, and it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force, it's a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters, and you complete missions, and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources, and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means? Free stuff. Free stuff, just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strife Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks. Once again, to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? What would you do? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, watch Supernatural? Maybe all the above. Or maybe it's that thought that brings in a sense of panic. I mean, the question is, what time for what? If time is unlimited, how do we use it? Sometimes... The hardest time for people who work every day is the weekends. When people are faced with a choice, if I've got this free time, what do I do with it? If this rings true for you, maybe therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy for many years now and I talk openly about it. I still go to therapy um, about once a week and it's just such a nice time for me to to have that free space to to try to figure out who I am, really, and what I really want and what makes me happy. It's super important and often neglected taking this time. 
If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. So all you do is you fill out this brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then, oh, get this, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge because they want you to be happy. That's what this is about. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash S-P-N-T-A-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash S-P-N-T-A-N. Thank you for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. Man, I always love having Miller on. He's just cool as a cucumber and is just such an intelligent uh, <laughs> guy. And holy smokes, can he remember the details from years ago? I love it. I love it. I love him. I love how much he remembers. And uh, he's yes, our kind of guy. He's just a, a, a nice fella and super smart and uh, always a pleasure to talk to him. Indeed, indeed. We'll have him back again. But great, great to get his uh, insights on uh, some remarkable scene work in that episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really made me appreciate all that, uh, all those moments. Indeed. But now. Yeah. It's time to turn our attention away from J. Miller Tobin. Okay. And over to. Mythology. 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 Supernatural came up with a fun definition and purpose for grace in its mythology. However, the role and purpose of grace can be interpreted in several ways in Christian scripture. Some common biblical interpretations that likely influenced Supernatural's definition of it likely included the following. Rich? Grace is usually defined as undeserved favor. Grace cannot be earned. It is something that is given by God. And it's something I'm never referred to at, at a party as underserved. Uh, no, no, sir. Uh, by the way, is it is it something that can be given by God, or is it something that can be given by God? <laughs> Grace is the spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners, and the divine influence of, and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sancti- sanctification. And that line I just said, "Thank God, it never had to memorize." Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Um, God's grace not only offers salvation, but also secures it. Hmm. I still don't understand what it is. Neither do I. Angel Grace also plays a large role in the game Magic the Gathering. Hmm. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Angel Grace. Well, <laughs> Angel Grace Barlow, which is not her name. Anna Grace Barlow. <laughs> that's her name. Um, and she played Lilith? She plays Lilith in season 15. Which episode? Great episode. I, I directed her in two episodes, and she's just fantastic. Which episodes? One where uh, Jake Abel plays two people. Oh, that one. That's a great one. I saw and that. And then I one where, the, where it's like a werewolf episode. You think it's a werewolf episode, and then it ends up being a Lilith episode. She reveals it's a really cool episode. Uh, I know I directed it, so I'm biased, but she's so good. She was just one of those, again, litany of guest stars who came in and just crushed it. Uh, but we'll get to talking about her in 10 years. Uh, for now, we'll stay focused on this. Has she ever done a... A uh, convention? No. Hmm. And now, Robert, quit, quit gibbering. It's time for fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts. Heaven and Hell is a Black Sabbath album. Black you know? Sabbath is a Heaven and Hell album. Did you, did you know that? I did not. Yeah, me neither. 
The episode was originally titled Hell's Angels, but the show received a copyright infringement notice from the motorcycle club's Hell's Angels just a few days before airing. Wow. You know who you don't want to piss off? The Hell's Angels. No. You know who holds a grudge? Hell's Angels. Yeah. You know who will come stomp your face with a steel boot if you don't listen to them when they seen send a cease and desist letter? Hell's Angels? Hell's Angels lawyers. <laughs> yeah, wow. Copyright infringement notice from yeah. Hell's Angels. Yeah, that's serious go. stuff. I don't even want to talk about that. In a deleted scene from the episode, Castiel and Uriel discuss the aftermath of Anna's escape. Uriel wants to kill Sam and Ruby in retribution, but, but Castiel reminds him that their superiors have ordered that they not be harmed. Uriel is angry and voices dissent. Castiel responds by warning him against disobedience for fear that he become like Anna. Oh, wow. And if he becomes like Anna, he's got to do it with Dean. And Robert <laughs> Wisdom didn't want any of that. So he listened and shut his yap. Otherwise, he knew it was Impala o'clock for him. <laughs> That's, uh, wow, interesting. And also interesting, there's a deleted, a full deleted scene because already this episode had too much beard. Oh, my God. Like, man, there's more. There was more yeah. to pack in. Wow. Interest, very interesting fun fact. You'll see the name Trevor Sands get story credit for this episode. Trevor is a screenwriter and friend of Kripke's. They were brainstorming on a different project, and they came upon the concept of an angel that had come to the earthly realm against the rules of heaven, and the main character would be the poor schmuck who fell in love with this girl who would never be able to be a normal girlfriend for anyone. Oh. Wow. Anna's parents are Amy and Rich. This is clearly a reference to Amy Gominick and Richard Spate, two performers on the show Supernatural, one playing young Mary and one playing Gabriel, who went on to be revealed as playing Loki and the trickster. Another theory, which is probably wrong. <laughs> Another version that Eric Kripke says, which is probably wrong, because what does Kripke know, is that the names Amy and Rich are actually a reference to Kripke's personal friends, Amy and Rich Wilkes. Rich Wilkes is the writer of Airheads, featuring Adam Sandler and Brendan Fraser. He also wrote Vin Diesel's XXX, which was sued by every cartoon ever because every liquor bottle in every cartoon has XXX on it. And this is clearly not what they meant. And also he Motley Crue's The Dirt. Oh, The Dirt, oh. yeah. Uh, also a lot of people, and when I say a lot of people, I mean everybody calls Vin Diesel's movie XXX, Triple X. Triple X, that movie is called, Triple X. Really? Yeah. Never heard of it. Yeah, there's been uh, sequels. In the business we call it a franchise. That's, you're making that up. No, sir. So what's the what's the next one? Quadruple X? It's X. It's one X. No, I'm, <laughs> if it's all Roman numerals, smarty pants, what's the next one called? That little one X would be, you know, 19. You. X, that's triple X. Triple X, State of the Union. And then triple X, Return of Xander Cage. And a short film, the final chapter, The Death of Xander Cage. Triple X. Triple X, State of the Union. Triple X, Return of Xander Cage. And the short film, final chapter, Death of Xander Cage. Stylized as XXX and pronounced triple X. There you have it. Interesting. Anybody? I uh, dozed off during the middle of that, but I'm sure it was great. Well, um, let me just summarize for you. I was right. All right, fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, that was great. Yeah. You know what we've never had? We've never had a review that was too much beard. Like, this is groundbreaking for us, too. It's a first. It's a first. And a lot of people are going to talk about this. People are already talking about it. Yeah. I'm people, talking about it right now. Yeah. People are like, hey, I love that Too Much Beard episode, people are going to say. 
They're going to say episode four. That's when we had the, the first Too Much Beard episode. That's what people are saying. People are this is the one it. they're going to talk about <laughs> when they talk about our reviews, which they don't do. Exactly. But if they were to, this would be on that list of things they would that, talk about. That's right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you at the next one. And enjoy listening to Elvira, My Baby's American Maid, and all those Oak Ridge Boys hits. And, you know, Google any Cindy Lauper video and you'll see Captain Lou Albano. And while you're at it, do like Rob did and Google Triple X and just see what happens. There you go. Now you're pronouncing it right. This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester, Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester, and Misha Collins as Castiel. Guest stars included Robert Wisdom, Julie McNiven, Genevieve Cortese, Mark Ralston, and Tracy Dinwiddie. Heaven and Hell was written by Eric Kripke, story by Trevor Sands, directed by J. Miller Tobin. Editing by Tom McQuaid, music by Christopher Leonards. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of this episode featured the following song, Ready for Love by Bad Company. Yeah, that was great. All, all during the, the lovemaking. Yeah, man. This episode originally aired on November 20th, 2008. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spate Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holsher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. Ooh. somebody! <laughs> Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at SPN Then and Now. And become a member of the podcast at patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. It was, it's just Castiel. He doesn't have the last name Winchester. Castiel Johnson. <laughs> Heaven you, and hell. Did you, did you say Castiel Winchester? I didn't even notice. No. That's hilarious. Yeah. Very few people who know who those gentlemen are. And I'm including <laughs> the Captain Lou's entire crew of the ship he must sail <laughs> and the, the Lee Golden family. Well, and, um, and, and producer Steve, who's looking at us like, you idiot. Angel Grace, in addition to being the actress who played Ruby in the final season of Supernatural. Okay, both that's wrong. She, her, she played Lilith, and her her name was Anna Grace. Grace is usually defined as underserved favor. Oh, no, that's right. Not underserved. <laughs> underserved. Undeserved. <laughs> Oops. Underserved. XXX. Uh, this is going to be a scary thing to Google. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it. It's your phone. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, XXX movie? No. XXX Vin Diesel movie. God help me on this result. Oh, it's slow coming in. Okay. Storybell Media. <laughs> <laughs>